Hello, this is AJ Bingham, CEO of the Bingham Group, and welcome to the BG Podcast. Our guest today is Derek Chubb, the President and CEO of Central Texas Food Bank. Welcome to the show, Derek. Thank you, AJ. It's a pleasure to be here. I know when you, uh, you're, you're just coming in from some, some work down in South Austin, I believe, today, and I want to get to that and talk about just what's been going on uh, this whole year with the Central Texas Food Bank. Before that, just how are you doing? Uh, a little tired. I <laughs> <laughs> see the grades. I see the grades. Uh, I know. I mean, um, you know, 2020 has been you know, quite challenging for all of us. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, you know, myself, you know, clearly my staff who, you know, bless their hearts day in and day out. Uh, continue to go out and try and meet the needs of uh, uh, of what we're seeing just in some cases, you know, almost overwhelming. I mean, I have, you know, my normal, uh, you know, my normal, you know, mobile pantry coordinator could, you know, come in contact with well over a thousand individuals each week. So, and they've been doing this since uh, the April timeframe. So, mm-hmm. uh, I think everybody's a little winded, but, uh, but for the most part, we're doing everything we possibly can to give those who seek our services as much hope and self-respect as we can possibly provide to them during what we all know is, you know, probably one of the most challenging periods of their lives. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as the name implies, you service Central Texas, but what does that mean practically in terms of your, the range? What can I mean, the five-county area? Or what's the range for, for your services? Well, uh, it's actually 21 counties. All right. <laughs> and uh, you know, we are the largest hunger relief agency in Central Texas. Uh, you know, there are 21 food banks in the state of Texas, uh, you know, some large, some relatively small, uh, but, <clears throat> but we go as far northeast as Freestone County. Uh, we come down across San Saba, we go down the Hayes uh, and Caldwell. Uh, we have, <clears throat> you know, McLennan and, uh, you know, we have, you know, Waco and Temple area. So okay. we've got a pretty decent size of geography. If we looked at it in square miles, it's about Half is about twice the size of the state of Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. And you know, just getting right into it, the discussion on the impact COVID nineteen's had on, on the, obviously in the state, the region, and on your services. Um, I'll say before all this started, right in the non you know pre COVID normal quote unquote mm-hmm. year, uh, I think at least for the Austin Metro, a lot of folks would be maybe not surprised to know that I mean the city itself was already was already economically stratified. We say. And there was already probably probably an underlying need that if you see, look at Austin, all the success Austin's had at surface, you wouldn't know was there, right? And obviously, right. what's happening in Austin, you see happening happening across the nation, where uh, the just these economic fissures are being widened now that under the impacts of COVID. And yeah. so, that being said, what have you seen? I mean, I for folks who 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 read the Austin American Statesman or any other local news journal, you see the uh, car lines, y'all start for, for service lines for food distribution. What have you seen just, you're on the ground, people on the ground, I mean, so this picked up, when did you, when did you start first seeing the uptick in, in service demand? Mm. So, you know, pre-COVID, if I could just, you know, AJ just kind of frame this as a before and after, Please. Uh, of which we are almost returning to areas that you know, we're, we're 
we're at levels now that are higher than they were at the peak <laughs> originally of the pandemic. But prior to the pandemic, I frequently referred to Austin as in terms of the tale of two cities. We all know that story. Uh, you know, there wasn't, you know, there's not a top 10 list that Austin didn't appear on uh, from, you know, best place, one of the best places to work, one of the, you know, best places to have fun for music, for, you know, for events. So Austin was frequently on that top 10 list of cities in the country. What wasn't talked about was even throughout all that prosperity, throughout all that, you know, perceived success, uh, we were distributing food to around 50,000 every single week. And that's, uh, and that in and of itself is a hunger problem. So, and a, and a growing public health crisis as far as, I, as far as we were concerned. So we were spending a significant amount of time just sharing what the data was telling us uh, in, with regard to those individuals that were seeking our services. You know, AJ, I'll add another stat to this. Uh, you know, even though we were extremely excited about our low unemployment numbers, you know, over 65% of those that were seeking our services were working households. So these were households that just struggling to make ends meet. They were working, but they were not keeping up with the cost of living, you know, particularly when we start having conversations about Austin proper, because mm -hmm. we know it's not necessarily the most inexpensive place to live. No, I think uh, it's an expensive city in Texas for, <laughs> yeah. for a while. Yeah, so that in and of itself is challenging. So, you know, of those that were seeking our services, you know, and that were working households, you know, 80% of them were telling us that every single month they were caught in the tyranny of the moment of having to make a decision about whether or not they were going to pay their utilities, uh, whether or not they were going to pay for medical care for themselves or for their children, or whether or not they were going to buy food. And that in and of itself is pretty tragic, but that was the gap that we were trying to, trying to fill. Then COVID happened. And when COVID happened, there were two you know, there were two components to this. The first was how do we, as a Central Texas food bank, you know, do everything we could to minimize the risk of our resources? I mean, we're a food handling organization, so that in and of itself is somewhat challenging and, and, uh, and requires a significant amount of audit posture. Uh, so we, we, we focused on two things at once. Uh, one, how is it that we needed to change our business model in order to minimize risk? And there are several components to that, as well as how are we going to meet the growing demand and everything, and everything that it was telling us relative to minimizing risk said lessen the amount of people that are available. For example, we had to decrease our volunteerism in the building by 70%. Uh, in order to maintain social distancing. But fortunately, we had some faith-based faith organizations, about five of them, more offered, but we used about five of them to help us build emergency food boxes because we had to shift from a client choice model to a drive-through distribution model. And AJ, that wasn't just us. That was also the 250 partner agencies that we partner with on an annualized basis whom at that point were distributing really about 80% of the food. And, and these were spread. Or, these are, 
by partner agencies, like just give me an example. Give us an example. These are soup kitchens. These are, uh, you know, this might be a church pantry. Okay. Uh, this might be something as large as a Caritas of Austin, uh, you know, uh, you know, foundation communities, uh, organizations like that, that also that we partner with that help distribute Caritas of Austin that help distribute food. So, uh, so we had to be concerned about how our partner agencies were distributing food as well. So we spent clearly the entire month of, uh, of April and well into May just shifting our distribution model uh, from client choice to, you know, to basically drive-through models. And quite a few of those partner agencies couldn't accommodate a drive-through model because they were too small. I mean, that requires, that requires staging, it requires logistics, it requires traffic control, just so many items that, uh, that they could not accommodate early on, and quite a few of them had to suspend operations. However, as you and I are having this conversation today, there's only three that have had to suspend their operations out of the over 250. So we're up and running and have been for a few months now. And I know that was kind of a long answer, <laughs> but uh, those were, you know, but those were the items that we were that we had to balance, minimizing risk and at the same time trying to increase the demand. And uh, the man, the demand, as you can imagine, we all saw skyrocketed. Uh, you know, it leveled off a bit. It didn't go back to pre-COVID levels, but it it leveled off a bit in the July and early August timeframe. But then toward the end of August, it started rising again. And for the, for the past 90 days, it was high in September, it was higher in October, and it was even higher during the month of November. This past November, we distributed food to more individuals than we have in the history of the Central Texas Food Bank. I should add too, how long have y'all been around this, this context, right? How long have you been serving, up, serving the region? Since 83. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> that's we're doing. We had the oil and gas recession, or the oil and gas bust, uh, yeah. '80s S and B bust, and yeah. uh, the '80s. We had recessions in the '90s, recessions in the early 2000s. And this is the uh, highest spin ever. Yeah, well, and and I have to put that in a little bit of context. When we started back in the early early '80s, the food bank actually started out of uh, the garage of you know of four or five individuals that just really wanted to try and start making a difference in their communities. Uh, we were, you know, we, we moved from their garage to you know, a small piece of space to their very, to the food bank's very first uh, actual building, which was, uh, which was on South Congress for many years. And, uh, and finally, the building that we're in today on uh, Metropolis, uh, we've been there since June of 2016. And that facility, the facility that we're in now, is about 2.4 times larger than the building on South Congress. So, you know, a number of the food banks, we one of our key uh, one of our key metrics are is pounds out the door. That's kind of how we monitor things. So, in 2016, uh, we distributed around 38 million pounds uh, to the Central Texas community. Uh, in you know, this past fiscal year, and our fiscal year ends, ends on uh, September 30th, we distributed 64 and a half million pounds of food. And so that's, that's basically almost doubled in a four year period of time. Got it. And then what goes in the boxes, right? So I mean, I, I volunteered before at a, your, actually 
back in the day, I volunteered at the old facility and I volunteered, I volunteered okay. at your new facility. But what, you know, so what goes in the distribution boxes that folks uh, would come to you get? And also too, is there any qualifiers for it? I mean, is folks, is, is it is just people in need come and you serve them? Just come. Good. Yeah, just come. <laughs> um, you know, it's in, in terms of, uh, in terms of an intake process, AJ, uh, you know, it's difficult enough for people to just come period. So to take them through some type of exhausting exercise is, um, is uh, a little less than kind, in my opinion. So we do whatever we can. Now, there are questions that we have to ask. Uh, you know, we, we want, we'd like to know where you're coming from because there are people that will drive distances to get to a mobile distribution. Uh, we like to know if that's their first time coming, you know, well, because that's a, that's a statistic uh, that we track people who are coming and seeking our services for the very first time. Uh, but as, as far as what goes into the grocery boxes, we try it, we try and make it as balanced as we possibly can, AJ. You know, there's typically some protein. Uh, there's typically, some, you know, uh, produce, fruits, vegetables, and there's also some shelf-stable items. Shelf-stable items, as in uh, items that you'll find in your pantry at home. You know, peanut butter, pasta, uh, you know, canned tuna. Maybe, uh, you know, <clears throat> maybe, uh, maybe chicken that isn't you know high sodium because we try and manage some semblance of a nutritional content in this exercise but we try and keep it as balanced as we possibly can, just like someone would go to the grocery store. That's what we try and do. And typically that, you know, that's around 38 pounds, you know, sometimes, you know, but rarely less, but, and in certain cases, in certain cases, it's more, lots, you know, in many cases, it's based on the availability of what we have. Mm -hmm. But so far we've been able to at least distribute about 35 plus pounds of groceries at each of our, uh, at each of our distributions. And, you know, just as we look towards 2021, which is right on the horizon, recording this on December 21st, what are, I mean, what are some of your greatest needs going into the new year? And the well, future, because, you know, we're, we're, I mean, I think it's a new year, but I think a lot of the, the impacts of this are far from, on multiple fronts are far from over, unfortunately. Oh, yeah. The, the recovery period for this for those individuals that you know, were directly impacted is going to be lengthy. Uh, if, you, if you recall, I'll, I'll use something else for context. If you recall, it seems light years ago now, but in January-ish timeframe of 2019, there was this thing we had called a government shutdown. Mm-hmm. And there were a number of, you know, there were thousands of you know, federal employees who were furloughed for, for the time being. And we held a couple of, dist- we held two distributions, one in our building uh, on Metropolis, and we held another one at the uh, at VA up, uh, you know, up in the Waco Temple area. And what we heard from them more than anything else was that I never, ever thought that I would have to be in this line. Uh, or seek, you know, assistance for food. But my point is, you know, the estimated recovery time for those, you know, for those that were impacted during that furlough was probably at least four or five months just for what lasted not even two months, I don't think. Imagine what this is going to be like for those families that were impacted on the first wave of this, Uh, which is why our expectation is that we will see these numbers uh, the numbers that we're seeing today, 
you know, throughout 2021 and well into 2022. And that's what we're preparing for. And what we need in order to try and continue to keep up with the pace that we have been uh, working toward up to this point is we need help in a couple of ways. One, uh, monetary donations. Uh, uh, we, before COVID, the food bank would spend around $100,000 a month buying food. Uh, we are now spending around a million a month buying food. So, and, and yes, we get donations from, we get donations of food, but what we are purchasing is helping us to not only meet the demand, uh, but also fill the gaps. You know, for example, maybe we need to purchase some, uh, you know, some fruits and vegetables to balance out those boxes that they're getting so that we can remain as consistent. You know, so whether you're at the front of the line or whether you're middle ways or the back of the line, you get basically the same thing. And we need to be able to do that. And sometimes that can be a little challenging when we're talking about uh, distributing food to around 5,000 like we did today in Nelson Field. So, so that's one thing. Second, we still need volunteers. So if you can't, if you can't support us financially, and by the way, a dollar uh, can buy four meals, you know, we can make four meals out of the dollar. And as you and I are having this conversation through some matching donor funds, you know, through some very generous donors, uh, it'll go twice that much. So we can turn that dollar into uh, 12 meals instead of, instead of, uh, instead of four meals. Uh, but you, if you cannot support us financially, please sign up to volunteer. Uh, just simply go to our website, centraltexasfoodbank.org, and sign up to volunteer. It's a pretty easy process. We do everything online. We, uh, we manage, uh, we exercise social distancing on our mobile distributions. Uh, we exercise uh, social distancing when we're packing the boxes because those boxes have to be built that we don't get the food that way. <laughs> we have to put them in the boxes. So uh, those boxes have to be built and, uh, and, we could use, uh, and, and we could use volunteers there as well. And, and I don't wanna forget, uh, AJ, uh, if someone is uh, in need of food or if they know someone who's in need of food, again, go to our website, centraltexasfoodbank.org uh, a button will pop up that says find food now. You press that button and you'll get a, you'll go into an app that'll, a map will appear, you enter your zip code and every place that we're distributing food, whether it's one of our partner agencies, one of our mobile pantries or our traditional mobile pantries or one of our mass distributions and the dates and the times, all of that will show up. So I, I didn't want to end this by any stretch of the imagination without making sure that your listeners uh, understand how they, can, uh, how they can find food. Great, and one last question too, just for those who, you know, they know there's, they, they're in need, but they see the line, they see, you know, either they see reports of how long, the, how the visuals of how long the lines are on the car, the car lines, how, what is the average time, it, it, you know, you, if you knew that it took for someone, you know, they, they drove in, let's say during a peak day, right? Yeah. Probably maybe they all are, to, yeah. to get from, entry to the you know, box in hand or in trunk, the car? So there are kind of two rules of thumb that I've seen with that. Uh, say, for example, if we're having, 
if we're doing a mobile distribution, if we're doing a mass distribution, let's look at the larger That's ones. That's what I was thinking of, yeah. I'm going to go to the small ones. Uh, you know, if it starts at nine, people actually start lining up at six o'clock. So that's one thing. And rarely do we run out of food. I think we've run out of food maybe twice out of the 60 mass distributions that we've done since the pandemic started. If you came past that initial big sit here for two hours to make sure we don't run out of food, which is something that we've been blessed enough to not necessarily to have done, I don't see any reason that you can't get through there in an hour and a half. Yeah, okay. So, uh, and just be prepared, have gas in the car, <laughs> but, you know, if, if we're at a distribution from nine to 12 and you came at 11, you would probably spend less time in line than you would have had you come at 6 a.m. for the nine o'clock start, if that makes sense. It does. It does. And I, I can understand why, why yeah. people want to be that early. Just, you know. Oh, oh absolutely. I, I, I would do the exact same thing. But I also don't want to discount the fact that pre-COVID, you know, we do two types of mobile pantries. Pre-COVID, we were doing around 60 mobile pantries every month throughout our 21 counties. So we're doing a small mobile pantry that we do multiple times, two or three times a month, all over, you know, all, you know, all throughout our 21 counties. And typically we have maybe about 300 people you know, that would come to that. And there's little to no weight for those, which is why I strongly, you know, I strongly suggest that, you know, they go to our website uh, and, and find the mobile pantries, the everyday mobile pantries that we're doing. And the lines are less and we're giving away just as much food. Mm-hmm. And one last question too, and this comes back to the impact of COVID-19 um, on your services. When folks are, are you, are you seeing, have you seen an uptick in, at least from what folks are reporting, in, from areas of town, they're talking about Austin proper, uh, that normally wouldn't have seen or had uh, folks coming there? So, I mean, oh, God, what's yes. with this? What area, I mean, there are t- for those who aren't from Austin, there are areas that, I, you know, we, we talked this briefly before we started the show, that, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, just the overall pre-COVID economic stratification of this city, they are being hit hard by, by just the growth and the prosperity of Austin. East and Preston, Southeast Austin, mm-hmm. right heavily yep. um, met ties. You know, we know the the rates of migrate or of migration of folks outside the city proper to the metro, Williams mm-hmm. County and Hayes County, but mm-hmm. in trunk of the city. And what I mean is, are you seeing more folks? At least they, you know, they're putting on their on their reports. So are they coming from you know District Eight, District Seven, Ten? I mean. Areas where, and I heard this term a, a while back, my parents lived in Circle C, where it was, it was kind of really there, where you have folks who, uh, it's like they're, they're middle class on the surface, but it's tenuous, right? Mm-hmm. It's one, you know, it's a furlough, it's a, uh, you know, for couple two of paychecks. Couple paychecks, <laughs> and it's like that, right? Because most yeah. folks on the whole don't have three months of savings, six months of savings. I mean, mm-hmm. nice things to have, but it's just, it's not, it's not done in our country. So yeah, yeah. it's right there. It's on a th- line surface or things stable, but it's, I mean, threadbare. So are you, do you see, you know, broadly, have you seen numbers in areas of town where you normally you didn't see folks coming from being served there at your facilities? So we're starting to see, uh, especially over the last 90 days, uh, we're starting to see more activity coming from 
those areas that we know people have migrated out of Austin into connecting counties. Mm-hmm. Hayes, you know, you know, Hayes County, for example. Kyle is, uh, we're seeing the numbers in Kyle grow you know, considerably. Uh, we're seeing the numbers increase uh, you know, in, uh, in the Bastrop area. We're seeing numbers increase in Marble Falls. Yeah, and uh, maybe not Horseshoe Bay, but Marble Falls and in that area. And those were not necessarily traditional areas that we would see numbers. Uh, uh, one of our partner agencies in Marble Falls uh, just built you know, a brand new facility to accommodate the growing volume that, you know, that, they're, seeing, that they're seeing up there. Uh, we're also seeing the Waco and Colleen and Temple area that if Outside of the metro area, you know, that, that area would typically be maybe number two in terms of demand. And then there's a traditional impact that we have been seeing, that we see for, for, for multi or several facets, not only hunger, but when it comes to healthcare, uh, housing, and just poverty in general. And that, you know, clearly being around uh, that, you know, the Eastern Crescent area, uh, you know, right up to, you know, Travis County, Pflugerville. Uh, you know, we're, we're starting to, you know, this pandemic has shined a bright new light on how volatile we are, you know, as, you know, as a community. And, um, and that's good news, bad news. But back to our point where uh, I think, uh, I, I don't remember if it, was, it were, if it was Federal Reserve, so I'm going to, I'm going to ask for forgiveness if I'm quoting the wrong, <laughs> the wrong organization. Uh, but, uh, but the point was, they said that, you know, an overwhelming number of our society has $400, has only $400 or less, to your point, set aside for emergencies. And that's, you know, that is one paycheck away in most cases. And that's why we're seeing, you know, such large numbers. That's why during the summer in Travis County alone, we saw the number of first-time uh, individuals seeking our services increased by 200 percent. So uh, it's you know you know the the pandemic knows no socioeconomic status. It knows it doesn't prefer one community over the other, but it does highlight communities that were somewhat volatile in the first place, and that's really why we've set up so many of our mobile pantries around the Eastern Crescent because we know that. Uh, you know, and we know that there are challenges there. Uh, we're doing some extra work down in Kyle. Uh, we're trying to adjust to where we're seeing the demand. Mm-hmm. Well, Derek, I want to thank you for your time. and I want to thank you and your, your team um, across the 2022, 20, 21 counties for yeah. all the work you do <laughs> and will continue to do going into the new year and onward, even when, after uh, this pandemic subsides. There's, I mean, again, the work, you're, you're doing a lot of work ahead of, before this even started. And that's not going away, unfortunately. It's not going away, unfortunately. So thank you for your time. Derek Chubbs is the president and CEO of the Central Texas Food Bank. And uh, actually, I'll give you the last word. I just want to thank your staff and your team and everyone else. Uh, I just want to, I want to thank the community. I want to thank you, AJ. Uh, this has been trying for us all, but the community has, has stepped up and supported us throughout this, you know, throughout this very challenging period. And I just want to say that this is a marathon. It's not a sprint. It is going to continue all through next year. So thank you, AJ, for helping us get the word out that we do have this challenge. 
because you know, in January, when we're probably not even talking about this anymore, we have a vaccine. You know, we'll, you know, we'll there'll be challenges. You know, there'll be changes. Excuse me. You know, from an administ, you know, from a national administrative perspective, uh, and but people will still be lined up needing food. And thank you for helping us and supporting us in keeping our hunger challenges in this community in the forefront of our friend, you know, of the thinking of our friends and neighbors. So thank you.